0: GM friends, and welcome to the Metacos Crypto Corner brought to you by Navic. I'm your host, Nicola Vreke, or Nico for short. And today I'm joined by Anton Bernstein, co-founder and CEO at Pocket Worlds. Pocket Worlds is a metaverse company that brings people together through play. It builds intricate, rich worlds that are social by design and built to last for decades. Pocket Worlds is the creator of HiRise, a leading mobile-first metaverse, which uh, with over 13 million members. And there's many reasons why I've been looking forward to this conversation with Anton. One, high-rises is, is very successful, um, but I haven't heard enough people talk about it. Also, Anton has some very down-to-earth thoughts and opinions about gaming. And he's also not really crypto-native, but very well-informed about Web3. Um, and s- looks at it as a tool that can help him build more rich and engaging worlds. And I'm um, yeah, very excited to dig in there. So Anton, welcome to the Metacast.
1: Thank you. Yeah, great to be here.
0: All right, let's dive in. So tell us a bit more about your journey because you didn't start your career off in games. What were you doing before? Um, and then what made you make the switch?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, so one uh, small correction from the intro, by the way. So we have, uh, I think, north of 20 million users now on, on rise and north of 4 million on Everskies, okay. which is our second product. Um, and uh, in terms of the the journey, so I actually uh, started in VC. Um, I started working at Insight Venture Partners and Redpoint Ventures, uh, where I was focused primarily on consumer internet businesses. Um, that included gaming. So I worked on Kabam uh, at Redpoint, worked on um, this other company called Ankama in at, at Insight. Um, Insight had also invested at ja- into Jagex, <coughs> a company called RuneScape, or, or a game called RuneScape. Um, but I was also focused pretty broadly on e-commerce and Everything kind of consumer internet, Um, things like, uh, even things like Shopify, but uh, Groupon actually was one of those uh, products that uh, I seek to invest into at Insight. We ended up losing the deal. Um, And then I transitioned out of Redpoint and started a company in Australia that is now called LuxuryEscapes.com. It's a travel business. Uh, We basically sell vacation packages for people who are traveling from Australia and New Zealand to Southeast Asia, primarily. <clears throat> I mean, it's a global brand at this point, but Australia and New Zealand is definitely the, the bigger market. We do about $300 million in sales or so today. Um, uh, I think folks in Australia and New Zealand, pretty much everybody knows us. Uh, we advertise on television and newspapers, but of course, online. Uh, and then uh, we had a French satellite where I was based in, actually in Paris. Um, we, were, we were pretty remote. Um, and global before uh, kind of remote and global became a really big thing. Our dev team was in Ukraine. I was based in Paris, focused on the French business. Um, it was called Bukingo at the time. And then we also had this Australian satellite building luxury escapes. And then <coughs> we ended up selling the French business to a company called Smartbox in uh, in France. They're a big, um, kind of they sell these retail gift boxes um, in places like Financial. Phanat- uh and uh when we sold the french business i basically decided that i wanted to start working in gaming um and the reason why i decided i wanted to start working in gaming is one i i love games i grew up gaming that was kind of my childhood um and then two is i i love working in something very creative um and although i mean building any business i think is a very creative endeavor i think especially working in gaming and trying to build the next Kind of version of whatever um, consumers might be interested in um, kind of requires a certain kind of creativity and discovery that um, really appeals to me. And so uh, I ended up moving to San Francisco after we sold the French business uh, to start a new company. I met with my co-founder, Jimmy. Uh, we had a bunch of mutual friends and we started to build basically what was at the intersection of social networking and gaming. Um, So we weren't quite sure exactly what we wanted to build. This was 2013. Um, But if you remember in the mid to late 2000s, virtual worlds were actually very, very big. Um, I'm actually a bit reminded of, I I went to NFT NYC and saw the uh, Sandbox uh, kind of um, get up that they had at Gotham Hall. They had like this whole three day event. Um, And it really reminded me of Second Life because they have all these partnerships, like so many different brands. Um, and basically no users. And Second Life was extremely similar. Gap was opening stores. You know, all, all these kind of like retailers were trying to get into the Second Life. And, um, well, today Second Life is kind of a pretty niche product. Not a bad product, but a niche product for sure. Um, but in any case, the mid to late 2000s, um, virtual worlds were quite big and they kind of disappeared when in 2009, 2010, mobile came on the scene. Um, The iPhone was released in 2009, 2010, 2011. Everyone started to migrate over to that platform. Um, Virtual worlds kind of died out. Um, Flash, there were a lot of Flash-based virtual worlds. Flash died out because the browsers were killing them. And so 2013, when when we launched, um, there wasn't much. Uh, Roblox at the time wasn't popular. Nobody really knew it. Um, And especially on mobile, there wasn't really multiplayer gaming. And so we came in and decided... Well, the next evolution of social networking, the next evolution of let's say Facebook or even Instagram, which was just getting really popular at the time, should probably look more like a game. We weren't sure exactly what that should look like. We launched two products that were not successful: one called Pockets, another one called Harvest Crossing, both MMO titles on on mobile. Um, and then the third was High Rise, where we really started to focus on UGC and people being able to build out the world itself, and then also really focused on the social. Aspect. So we built a news feed, we built a messenger, we built all these ways that people could connect with each other through a single social login and a single social layer. Um, and tooling for users to actually build the world and construct the world. Um, and we launched that in 2016. It's grown uh ever since uh last year. We did about 30 million in revenue. Uh we have north of two million monthly active users on high-rise. Um, our audience is pretty interesting. It's uh, largely female, 70% female, 75% female. Our average age is about 20, and we are mobile first. Um, iOS and Android are definitely our first party platforms or most important platforms. And then we're actually launching web either at the end of this month or next month, um, where we're going to start kind of adding that platform. A lot of that driven by our initiatives in Web3. Um, I'll also mention last year or a year and a half ago, we acquired a business called Everskies. Um, that's also been quite successful. Uh, it's also a social platform built around, uh, UGC and dress up and clothing. Um, we, we just broke 4 million users for Everskies. Uh, we have just north of a million monthly active users on Everskies. So that's also been a product that's been growing quite well. Um, and in general, kind of our mission is to, uh, uh, you know, basically kind of democratize this idea of metaverses, build the next social platform that goes beyond what we see with Facebook and Instagram, and even to some degree, Discord. And so the next evolution of high-rise, we're calling it the high-rise world. And in the high-rise world, our intent is that anyone can build their own high-rise, such that if you have a community or you have a brand or you have a certain IP, uh, you might have a Reddit, you might have a Discord. We think you should also have a high-rise. And that high-rise is your virtual social space. Uh, you can create content in it. Your fandom can create content in it. So they can create clothing and furniture, but also they can create the experiences that other people uh, will experience in your high-rise. But it's branded to be your high-rise uh, in the same way that your Discord is branded to be your Discord. Because when we think about growing the metaverse, let's say, and the examples that we saw with Second Life and a lot of the other virtual worlds that were happening in the mid to late 2000s, I think what happened was, is because they weren't partitioned in this way as a platform with tooling for people to be able to um, kind of come in and build their own communities, they end up ended up kind of becoming their own subcultures so their own niches. Second Life is a pretty niche product and everything kind of, every other virtual world that was created around that was its own niche product. The analogy I like to use is Discord. Imagine if there was only one Discord and everyone had to join the same Discord. It just wouldn't make sense. And so our approach to this is there shouldn't be just one metaverse. We provide the platform, we provide the tooling. And then HighRise, the HighRise world is really just a place where anyone can build their own community in the same way that they would with Discord. We provide a social layer and we provide the tooling for people to be able to build those social experiences inside each and every high-rise. So that's kind of the approach that we're taking. We haven't launched a a third-party high-rise yet, but we're going to be launching our first third-party high-rise next month. Uh, And uh, we'll be announcing some partners that we're doing that with. Um, They're usually coming out of the NFT community today because they already have digital assets, they already have communities. Um, They just need kind of a new social experience where. Those uh, digital assets, the NFTs can be present and people can kind of uh, have richer experiences than just kind of chat threads and Discord. Um, so, yeah, sorry, that was a, a very long answer to your question.
0: <laughs> it, it already touched upon uh, many of the points that I'd like to, to go a bit deeper in. So, that was great. Um, just to take a step back and talk about high rise a little bit, you told me that your audience is mostly female and on average 20 years old what do they do in high-rise how do they spend their time what brings them there
1: yeah I mean I think if you asked any uh, kind of retained player in high-rise or user in high-rise why do you use high-rise they will all tell you because of the friends I made on high-rise and so the, the a lot of the core motivation ends up being very social um, so there's a lot of uh, kind of chatting socializing we have voice chat. Um, So if you're familiar with the application Clubhouse, there are some similarities to Clubhouse. Um, You can build all sorts of games and experiences. And so people are actually creating games Um, and the games that they're creating. uh, They're usually uh, real time games. So, for example, uh, pageants, Um, people would, would host a pageant. They'd say dress up in the color red and then everybody else would dress up in the color red, and then the winner would get um, some currency. Um, or, like, uh, you know, they'd play a, a, a game. A lot of these games, honestly, so we don't invent any games. All of the games are invented by users. And so, actually, a lot of these games, I'm not even super familiar with the mechanics because they're literally designed by the users and then explained by the users, and they, they kind of play them. Um, so that's a big component. Dress up is a big component. Um, clothing and the way that people look is really important Um, and then the secondary market and collectability is a really big component so uh, we built the app from the beginning since 2016 with a tradable currency and tradable items and so the secondary market ends up being a a very primary mechanic of uh, the high-rise world Um, we do about 100 million dollars a year in secondary market transaction volume and so that's people uh, buying, selling, trading clothing primarily, but also sometimes furniture. Um, and so kind of that collectability aspect is a big one too. Um, so yeah, I'd say, you know, kind of socializing, uh, playing or creating games, um, and collecting content.
0: What percentage of your user base actually earned something from label, uh, label world, uh, sorry. So, worlds. Yeah, so
1: we haven't enabled too much earning yet. Um, That's kind of our goal with Web3. We do have some earning uh, products, though. Like, we do have users who do earn. Uh, We have something we call the High-Rise Brands Program, um, and that is internal brands. So every month, we run a design contest. Every month, we run a contest where we we have some theme. People design art. Uh, They usually, you know, they could even sketch it on the back of a napkin or whatever, and they submit that art the other users end up voting on that art so we have like a whole kind of system a platform to be able to vote on that content and then the content that wins our art team we have a 20 person art team our art team will come in and actually refine and produce that content and sell it uh, now when that happens the winner actually gets in-game currency and uh, in-game rewards if they win that contest multiple times then they're enrolled in what's called the brand's program and in the brands program, they work very closely with our artists, oftentimes actually doing the whole uh, kind of the whole set, the whole outfit or the whole set of clothing. And then they end up earning a commission um, and our users, they'll make on average about five thousand dollars per collection um, when they sell it that way. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's like maybe two, three weeks of work. Um, for 5000 bucks for, for someone who's kind of an amateur artist where our artists really help them kind of polish it up. Um, it's, it's pretty decent, uh, but we want to expand that much, much more. Um, and then on Everskies, uh, our second product, uh, it's entirely UGC content. So we have no art team on Everskies. And so all of the Everskies content, we have north of 200,000 items, I think approaching 300,000 items now. All of them are created by our users. And all of them uh, earn an income from doing it.
0: And so could you quickly go through the difference between HiRise and Everskies?
1: So HiRise is a virtual world platform properly. So there's a virtual space. Virtual spaces are created generally by users, uh, infrequently by us. And you walk around, you hang out, you play games. There's things you interact with. Um, Everskies is actually a little bit more similar to Reddit. So it's a forum. Um, It's a forum, but... Clothing and avatars and dress-up are core to that forum. Uh, and the way that the forum works is we have something called clubs. So you can think of those as subreddits. So each club is some sort of interest group. And the clubs are moderated and hosted by EverSky's users. Uh, and you can come in, you can join a club. And there's lots of different themes, lots of different interests. But the kind of the thread that connects everything is this, uh, this idea of, Kind of dress up and clothing and style and fashion um, and actually if you look on on Pinterest for a lot of fashion keywords, eversky's content ends up constantly bubbling up and popping up because the eversky's art style I think is so um, i don't know so appealing so interesting and so user generated
0: makes a lot of sense yeah. and so you mentioned earlier there's around hundred million that's being transacted per year on the um the high rise platform yeah. what percentage is around fashion is that like the majority
1: the majority yeah i I mean it's hard to separate fashion and collectibles um but yeah i mean it's clothing it's all clothing pretty much
0: yeah it's um i tend to because of personal bias underestimate the importance of fashion in virtual worlds Mm -hmm. i just want to look cool you know give me a cool suit of armor and especially like just like efficient and utility that's more important um but it's good to to be reminded that you know there's um, other people on this planet as well, you know?
1: Totally. But I mean, even for me, I, I you know, I, I'm a gamer, I'm, I'm less of a fashion oriented gamer, let's say, but you know, I'll play Fortnite and I'll see a skin that I really want. I'll, um, I'll really want to buy it. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I grinded for like two weeks to get a certain skin in, in Warzone, um, a very dark skin. Because that was harder to see when I was inside. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm that kind of gamer.
1: So it's still um, utilitarian you, for you.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, very sweaty. That's me. Uh-huh. So earlier y- you talked about brands and how they failed, you know, until now to actually like build a, build something like good within metaverses. Because in the end, like th- there didn't seem to be users there, and and players don't seem to want to spend time in, in like corporate spaces, which makes a lot of sense. How do you think that will change with what, what you're doing? Um, and perhaps, you know, looking forward to the metaverse as well.
1: I mean, I, I think at least for what we're doing, it is, it is certainly up to the brand or the community developer to develop a rich and engaging place. And what I mean by that is, you know, Gap is still not going to have a really interesting Discord. Like, it's just not going to happen. I I mean, Gap can try, um, but it's very unlikely that people are going to be hanging out in the Gap Discord. Um, And so I think that there's got to be some compatibility between the brand, the identity of the brand, what the brand's about, the community and the kind of content they release and the platform that they're on or the tooling that they're on. Um, And so at least for me, again, that's the kind of the way that I think about it because the analogy that I have for what we're doing is, is much closer to discord and it is allowing brands and communities to build up um, these virtual spaces um, these kind of like next-gen social networks uh, for their users to activate them in a different way so activate them in real time activate them using virtual goods um, a very different business model right like think about discord or reddit no brands or communities are making money off discord or reddit um those business models are, you know, basically that Discord's like, we're offering you engagement. So that should be enough, um, which I, I think is fine. But, you know, we're offering you engagement. Plus, so you can actually sell virtual goods to an audience if you can figure out how to do it well. But we're certainly going to give you the tools to do it. So I th- think that at least our philosophy is we want to help brands or communities build, build out their community platform, you know, build out their social platform, a social network in the form of a high-rise. Um, as opposed to saying, uh, well, okay, we have one world, we have one social platform, and then you can set up a shop, you know, set up a Gap shop, and then people can come in and buy Gap content. We're we're kind of, I guess, less focused on that. And I'm not saying that that's a, that's a poor strategy. I mean, Sandbox is obviously very focused on that. Um, and a lot of virtual world platforms, I think, are, are quite focused on that. They're kind of doing these brand activations within the world. The caveat is for those brand activations to work, the world already needs to be a place where people live. So it works in Roblox because in Roblox, if you do want to uh, introduce your content to a bunch of nine to 13 year olds, then Roblox is the place to do it. That's where they hang out. It makes absolute sense for an old Navy or a Gap to say, We want to introduce ourselves to a bunch of 13-year-olds. Um, in Sandbox, it's a little more confusing. I actually think that there's just a bunch of brands who say they want exposure to Web3. They don't know how to get it. Uh, sandbox is preeminent. And so that they're going and partnering with them. I think Sandbox is also paying a lot for that um, because of kind of the speculative fervor around Sandbox. But at the end of the day, when you put your stuff in a Sandbox environment, who are you exposing your stuff to? And it's, you know, probably a few hardcore crypto people.
0: And so how would you see a Web2 brand be successful in bucket worlds or in high-rise more specifically? Where they wouldn't be, um, like, could you give an example? I still struggle to get in, like, to find a reason why people would actually hang out there.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you a concrete example of what we're doing right now with a couple of NFT communities. Um, So, you know, they host AMAs on a regular basis. Right now, their options for AMAs are Twitter spaces and uh, Discord. Um, So what we're giving them is a platform to be able to host their AMA in virtual space. So uh, they have their own environment in their own room. It's a place where people can hang out wearing their NFTs. So they already have the virtual goods, right? They've already purchased the virtual goods. Somebody sold them. We have a mechanism where you can actually... Uh, port those virtual goods over to the high-rise world so you can just start kind of walking around and wearing them. And they can host the AMA inside of this virtual space while people actually hang out in that virtual space and interact with each other and interact with the host and interact with the environment. Um, and so that's kind of this concrete way uh, that uh, people use this tech and use this platform to actually host a specific experience. Um, that's the most basic, right? But then as we roll out more and better tools to be able to build experiences, they can come in and build a game. So like, you know, a Doodles can come in and say, we want to build a Doodles game uh, using the Doodles content and Doodles NFTs, avatars, and be able to charge for that game. They can go in and they can actually use our map editor to build that game, whatever that game is, as an activation. And then people can participate in that game Maybe if they play the game, they win a prize. That prize is an NFT. Uh, and they can buy, sell, trade that NFT as they want. Um, so it's like these kinds of activations. They're, they're obviously more effort to do than setting up a Discord or, or Reddit. But they're also potentially, on the flip side, if you can do it well, potentially lucrative in the sense that you can actually sell content into the world. And so what I would expect, to be honest, is that there's going to be some communities and brands that are really, really good at this and actually turn this into a strong revenue driver. Most will not be really good at this, and for most, a high rise won't be a great fit. But given that there are thousands, not millions, of brands and communities out there, um, I think for us, you know, we're at three million monthly active users today between high rise and ever skies. I think to get to 300 million MAU or to get to 3 billion MAU it's these people who can be like these communities or brands who can be really good at activating their audience using tooling like this. That's really how you get, in my opinion, to 300 million MAU. It isn't building horizons, which is going to end up being a niche virtual world, just like second. Um, so um, does that clear it up a little bit? Um, I don't expect every yeah, brand. Like um, I, again, I don't expect. gap. Yeah probably to build a high-rise maybe they will appear as a product inside one of the high-rises that activates the community that appeals to gap right that gap would want to advertise to but i don't expect gap to actually have a high-rise but i do expect like a community of furries you know to emerge and have a furry high-rise or a community of um i don't know maybe gta enthusiasts and there's like a gta high-rise you know or this nft community that that has really strong great art they want to release that content into a virtual world and they want to create games around it like doodles is doing a great job of building a, you know doodles to this virtual world um you know board apes is building out their virtual world and so there's a lot of products that um or a lot of communities that certainly don't have the resources to go and hire a bunch of game devs and you know build something in Unity or or, you know improbable or whatever you know board apes is doing Um, But they have a community that would love to engage, that want to engage, that want to be a part of kind of this kind of virtual space. Um, And so we're trying to build a platform for them to be able to do that.
0: Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. You mentioned um, different high rises for different, you know, brands or communities, NFT projects, etc. Are you doing land sales a la Sandbox, etc.?
1: So, yeah, you know, we we did a, a first early land sale more as a test. Um it was on Ethereum and mainnet. Um so we did it we launched an NFT collection last November called the High Rise Creature Club. We launched it on an immutable X. Just for context, I'm a seed investor in Sky Mavis, the guys who make Axie, um very early investor in Immutable. Um and uh and so that's why we we kind of started to explore um, immutable, Um And the reason why I'm an investor in general is because it, it, in these products is because a year, year and a half ago, we started exploring, hey, what do we want to use as we want to get into Web3? I've been personally into Web3 since 2013. That's when I first bought Bitcoin. 2018, we actually launched an NFT project. Um This is like right when OpenSea was opening up. I was meeting up with those guys at the Airbnb lobby because they didn't have an office yet. Um, It was like very early days. And so we were constantly exploring. It was all very early. And then a year, year and a half ago, we started to look at some of these later two solutions, some of these you know, alternative solutions that maybe we could actually start integrating because I have this fundamental belief when it comes to Web3 that if you want to build a virtual economy, this is just the right tool for the job. Um, I, I don't see you know, Web3 as necessarily... Well, I, I, I see it as something very interesting, but most importantly, I see it as this technology. Um, as as a kind of a composable money. So, you know, this technology allows this kind of like permissionless interaction with this kind of uh, database entry <laughs> or database. Um, and so that allows for this kind of composable money that, that we see. And I think composable money is a really powerful feature for a virtual economy um, because we can just kind of put the money out there and then people can build all sorts of tooling around it. Um, and we see that happening in DeFi with all these building blocks and now you know all the leverage that's gotten into the system and those deep leveraging whatever but like um fundamentally all that is proving out this point that there's this kind of like permissionless composable system around money um and I think if you have a virtual pure virtual economy it's just the right tool for the job um and so I've held that belief for a long time um but the tooling has just been pretty poor um and as the tooling has started to improve, that's when we started looking. I talked to this guy, maybe this guy's about Ronin. At the time, they hadn't even launched Ronin on Axie yet. So it was super early. So I was like, can we use Ronin? They're like, no, it's definitely not production ready yet. So, okay, can I invest in your company instead? Um, Immutable, same deal. I was like, can I use Immutable? They're like, actually, yes, you can. Also, we're closing this, like, you know, road. So It's so like, great. Um, and so then we started using Immutable. In November, we launched um, the High Rise Creature Club on immutable x um and that was kind of our first test on, on, on an NFT collection it did really really well so our community was really into it we sold out in 30 seconds um we did like i think uh, two and a half or three million in primary transaction volume and then almost 10 million in secondary transaction volume um so it was definitely pretty successful the the mechanic was it was a pfp or it is a pfp a profile picture plus it's an outfit that you can wear in higher rise and you can wear the individual traits in high-rise separately or, you know, the full outfit. Um, and we integrated it with the mobile app. So you connect with your MetaMask on the website. And then if you're connected, then on the mobile app, you can wear the outfit and you can wear the individual traits. Um, and so we, we kind of did that, at the high-rise creature club. That was really successful. Our, our Kind of audiences was, was, although some of them were pretty reluctant about NFTs, they kind of have all come around more or less. I I don't see a lot of negative sentiment about it these days. Um, And then uh, afterwards, we launched uh, High Rise Land uh, for people who own the creatures. So it was kind of like a perk and a way for us to test launching um, an NFT collection on Ethereum mainnet and kind of testing out land. And so what land entitles you to do is build your high-rise. Um, so that's kind of how we think about it. If you own a piece of land, you can build a high-rise. If you own an estate, you can build a uh, kind of a richer high-rise. Um, each high-rise can still have infinite rooms. So the kind of a, the, the high-rise is an indication that, hey, you have a community or you have a brand. But then uh, you or the people you allow can build infinite experiences inside of you. And so when we launch these partnerships next month, um that will be in partnership with Land. So, um they have some land and they're going to be launching their high-rises through that land. Um and you can actually see the land on highrise.game/land. Um there's like a little map. It's pretty cute. It's like an island that looks like creature head uh, because it is for the Creature Club.
0: Do you move um, do you teleport from high rise to high rise, or is this like is, is there a this sense of distance as well?
1: Yeah. So the the right now the design system is uh, is definitely teleportation in the sense that um, it's UI. So you access the high rise through UI, and then once you're in the high rise, you see a directory of rooms, it's like an infinite directory of rooms. And kind of the mental model is it's an infinitely tall high rise. So each one of these high rises is an infinitely tall high rise, and you can jump from room to room. It's like you're hopping on an elevator.
0: Okay. So you didn't go for the location-based high-rises necessarily? Um, that increase in value, supposedly, as as they get, like, or as they're more to the center of the map?
1: A, a little bit. So, I mean, that still exists in the sense that there is a map. So there's a map, yeah. and you can see where the towers are. Um, mm-hmm. So that still exists. But you can't, like, walk, right now at least. You can't walk yeah. from one tower yeah. to another.
0: Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. And then, um, so if I understand it correctly, um, you have three main pillars that you're using Web3 for, and, and feel free to, to add more or to, uh, to correct me. Um, one is what you're looking at, and actually I haven't asked you this, so this is a question. Will you be using Web3 to open up the current existing economy within um, your games? Uh, High-rise, there's secondary markets. Is the plan to turn that into an, like, an open economy where people can freely transact Items?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we we kind of already have that with our currency called gold. The only thing with our gold is that it's non composable, it's not exchange traded. You can't, you know, there's no liquid markets for gold. Um, and so, we're introducing a token called the Rise token. Uh, that Rise token actually sits on top of everything. So, it is the kind of the, the high rise world currency. Our high rise, we're branding as High Rise 101. And so, gold is actually the currency inside of our high rise. It's called High-Rise 101. You can buy gold with the RISE token if you want to, or you can buy content directly with the RISE token. Any NFTs that we release or that other High-Rises release will be bought and sold on the High-Rise marketplace, and people can buy, sell, trade it uh, for the RISE token or a stable coin like USDC. Um, we're building, by the way, all of this on Avalanche. Uh, we ha- we're building a subnet. Um, on Avalanche that we're calling the high-rise blockchain. Um, And I can speak more to kind of why we decided on uh, the subnet path um, in a bit. But uh, that's kind of the way that the system works. In terms of the way that we're actually releasing the RISE token, uh, we're never doing any sales. There's no private sale. There's no public sale. We're only distributing the RISE token to our audience, um, to users of the high-rise world. Uh, and, uh, we're also going to be distributing it for ecosystem development. So when people want to build their high rises or build their communities, if they hit certain milestones, we're going to, um, kind of give them some of the rise token. Um, and then uh, possibly some other mechanics around, around staking and things like that. But in general, um, kind of like fundamentally, we are not doing any sales of the rise token because we want to make sure that when we distribute the RISE token, it's distributed to the people who are actually active participants of the network and not kind of financial speculators um, who end up kind of dumping the token two years later that we now see happening across the entire market. Um, and so we, we kind of made, made, that, made that choice um, because we don't really need cash, we're, we're a profitable business we run quite well. So instead we're gonna use the RISE token really as, as kind of a reward mechanism and a mechanism to get people to engage and participate. In, in kind of our Web three ecosystem, um, but yeah, it's on top of everything, basically.
0: I'm a I'm a big fan of, of the way you think about your token um, and what it represents, and who do you want who you want to have it, no you who you want it to be hold, held by, um, and then you know for what it's worth, I think you should probably avoid any staking mechanism because I think staking immediately financializes things which turns it into something that has an ROI, which is something I, I don't think you, you would want. To- yeah,
1: I think it's true. I mean, the thing that we were considering, and, and we may not do this because, you know, for your reasons, for the reasons you mentioned, but the thing that we were considering is a mechanism where, uh, well, first of all, you can stake your token in order to uh, govern a tower or govern the platform okay. as a whole. Yes. And... And this is kind of where it might get a little, um, like to your point, uh, the incentives might be a little misaligned, but one of the I, you know, ideas we were tossing around is, uh, users can stake their token into a tower. The tower owner actually gets a percentage of the yield. The stakers get yield and the stakers get the ability to vote into the tower and the tower owner gets a greater vote in the platform. Um, because they have more users who they've attracted to their tower. But you're right, that that becomes much more of a financial game mm. rather than a, like interaction game. So yeah, yeah, we're, let's say, skeptical of yeah. that, but we've been thinking about
0: it. Interesting. Um, so that was, in my head, the first pillar, right? Um, having your own token. And then the next pillar is the token gating. So you essentially... Can um, use tokens. These could be, I guess, fungible tokens, but mostly non-fungible tokens um, to, you know, allow access to certain experiences, certain high rises, etc. So that's, I guess, then your your second part.
1: So uh, yeah, sometimes you want to basically, you know, spread your message, um, have as many people join as possible. And so uh, when we do that, actually, the, the mechanism is you literally just go to the URL of the environment and you're spectating. You're immediately spectating. You, you don't even have to enter the room yet. And then we make it really easy. If you want to enter the room because you have an NFT, you hit enter, you connect your MetaMask, and they're like, oh, you have this avatar. Do you want to join us this avatar? Um, super easy. Uh, and then on the flip side, if you want to do some sort of like a private community event, maybe you want to have a reward attached to it, maybe you want to have something else, then it can be token gated. Um, and then you kind of set your own permissions for which collections you want to, to um, use as your gating mechanism. Um, so, yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think it's a, well, I, well we're doing that um, for this uh, yeah. first partner that we're working with.
0: Yeah, makes a little sense. And then finally, it's also for you a revenue source. Then I guess you've launched your first uh, 11,000, I believe, NFTs. What's the strategy there? How, how do you see that moving forward?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it was really our test at, at what, it, what does it mean to own an NFT? What does it mean to have an NFT on our platform? How do people use it? Um, do they kind of rent it out in some way? Do they, do they hold on to it? Do they buy-sell trade it? Um, and uh, and yes, I mean, as a primary sale, it was very successful. We're still uh, collecting a lot of secondary sale revenue. Um, we are a, kind of a top five project on Immutable um, uh, by kind of transaction volume. Um, so that's um, that, that all is very interesting. Uh, I will say it, it was mostly a test for us because... Long term, I mean, all of our virtual goods should be NFTs. There's no reason why they wouldn't be. Um, I mean, if, if it's just a, an entry in a database indicating that someone owns something in a way that's kind of more secure and more composable than the entry that's in our database on AWS, then, um, it's kind of natural that that should be the way that we track that information, the way that, that we deploy content. And so, Long term, I mean, most virtual goods that we, um, that we support should be NFTs, whether it's NFTs that we produce and sell in the primary market, that our creators produce and sell in the primary or secondary market, or even NFTs that exist completely outside of our ecosystem that we allow to use inside of the high rise world or enable to use in the high rise world. Um, I I think it's like a, again, like a core fundamental building block um, for us that just makes a lot of sense. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of where Mm -hmm. we're going with it. That being said, um, our, our kind of strategy right now with the Avalanche subnet is I think there's a lot of games out there building that are trying to attract an audience from the liquidity of some blockchain. So they're convinced to work on Polygon or Solana or whatever, because of the promise that Polygon and Solana will have this big ecosystem and, and that people will come to their game or product and will adopt it and use it and, and buy their stuff and whatever. Um, so, we, we don't need to think about that as much because we already have an audience of 3 million MAU. And so, what we want to do actually, what we're really focused on is how do we make the best user experience for our existing users so that they can participate in this kind of composable technology um, without uh, the hurdle of figuring all of the ancillary things around it out, like MetaMask, like Coinbase, like whatever. And so that's what we're laser focused on solving. It's like, how do we give people a wallet? How do we solve the fiat on-ramp? How do we um, solve for gas? So for example, one of the reasons why we decided to work on the subnet is because The gas fee can be paid in our token, in the RISE token. And what that means is you don't need to introduce a third-party token like Matic or Sol or ETH into your ecosystem. And so people don't need to figure out how to buy it. All they need to do is be able to obtain RISE. And the way to kickstart that is you airdrop them RISE. So bam, they have RISE. Um, And so uh, these are kind of the considerations that we're most thoughtful about is how do we really solve that user experience? problem or question Um, especially given that we're increasingly fully cross-platform like you need to be able to participate on mobile so how do you do that you gotta work with apple you gotta i mean there's a lot to figure out and so that's why we decided to start with the avalanche subnet because we have control and we can really improve the ux but over the long term we're really not a blockchain company you know we're a we're a kind of a platform tooling company um if you will in in like the social and game space and so if there's a great community on polygon or a great community on solana or a great community on mainnet there's absolutely no reason why we wouldn't support them and say hey you can build a high-rise you can connect phantom or you can connect metamask and we can load in your nfts and your community can now hang out in this social space um absolutely no reason why we can do that but the reason why we're launching with the avalanche subnet is because we think that that for our users, for our existing users, we can solve a lot of the UX challenges that way. Um, And so that's what we're really focused
0: on. And you probably couldn't care less about the actual users of Avalanche today, which I I can't see there being too many that are only on Avalanche and not on like Polygon. No, no,
1: yeah, yeah. We don't really care about that. I mean, the the one thing we might care about is is the kind of the liquidity for the token. Um, But I think, you know, if you look at Trader Joe or Pangolin, that there's enough liquidity there that, you know, we can make sure for for sure that there's a liquid market for the RISE token. Um, pretty much, I think, on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Avalanche, Polygon, Solana, Ethereum, all of them, I think, can
0: satisfy that requirement. Yeah. Do you plan on, um, like, acting as a sort of central bank around the RISE token? Because, you know, let's say you airdrop your first RISE tokens to whatever, like your 10,000 most engaged users and you're unlucky and they were doing it, you know, all of as a big plan to start speculating on the price and then, you know, providing little liquidity and pricing it very high. Um, How are you thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, to be
1: honest, I don't know what I can and can't say um, from from a uh, kind of a regulatory perspective. Um, But I will say that... uh, well, first of all, the very low likelihood that our most engaged high-rise users who have been with us for many, many years, um, are, are, mm-hmm. have all been doing this to collude on our token. Uh, it would be amazing, though. And I would uh, give them huge props.
0: Um, they yeah, deserve it. it yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
1: uh, so, so I think the, the likelihood of that scenario is pretty low. And, and when we do release our token, we're going to be releasing it with strong utility. Um, like from the from the get-go. So we won't just airdrop you tokens and be like, oh, there's nothing to do with the token. No, uh, the you know, the and and it's pretty straightforward for us, right? We already know what people are buying with, with gold. We already know how people are transacting. And so as we release the Rise token, it's like, okay, pair it with content that we know people are into, pair it with, you know, mechanisms and features that we know people will spend on and just make sure that that's denominated in Rise token. Um, so it's pretty straightforward for us to, I think um create utility for the token early on um and for our audience to actually want to do it i, I you know as as a good example um the high rise creature club it's on immutable x right which i I think uh I love those guys I love immutable x, and they're they're working through a lot of things, but the u x is still somewhat of a struggle in the sense that not only do you need to figure out ethereum, figure out metamask, figure out ethereum figure out how to get ethereum into metamask. Then you also have to bridge it over to immutable and then transact on some, um, you know, secondary market that is not open seat. Um, and despite all of that, our users are doing it constantly. Like the, 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 there is high demand for, uh, the, the creatures they're sitting at a 0.1 ETH floor, which I think is like one of the highest floors on immutable. Um, and it's because people want this stuff and, and you know, there's, there's kind of a demand for it. Um, and so I think if we can solve a lot of the UX questions, which is, oh, well, I already have a wallet. The fiat on-ramp is really easy. Um, and actually, I already have the token because it was airdropped to me. Um, I think that the demand is going to be very, very high. Uh, at least that's what I see based on what I see with the higher risk Club. Um So kind of mm-hmm. I, I expect there to be quite a bit of transaction volume and liquidity. Um, You know, we're also going to make sure that, you know, whatever decks we work with has enough liquidity in it to support any kind of transaction volume. Um, uh, So. So, yeah, I mean, I I think I'm pretty confident that it's it's at least going to have quite a bit of transaction volume with our community kind of transacting and figuring out what to do with it. I think to your point, if we start financializing it a little bit more like adding staking or something maybe that's where incentives start to become a little weird in this line. And maybe we have the wrong actors start to participate. So if we do do that, we'll probably do that much later. Mm
0: -hmm. It just occurred to me that there's a good chance that, you know, a significant chunk of all of the 20 year old females in web three came there because of you guys. So, um, I guess, uh, that's a good thing. Thanks for that. I appreciate them. Actually it's
1: been really cool. So we have we've had moderators in our discord, for example, who all came from our community, all of them, well, almost all of them have uh, have left our Discord to go be moderators of other Discord communities. One of them is a head moderator at CryptoBats. Uh, one of them is like working at some other Web three company. Like, like this was kind of like their entry point, and then they kind of went and discovered uh, all that Web three had to offer. A lot of them made like really good money on it, and have kind of like altered their their careers because of it. And that's just been super cool to see.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Love that. There's um there's still quite a lot of pushback from traditional games people when you talk about, you know, the potential for this web3 stack, this technology and and what it can do for games. You know, you said that NFTs and then even fungible tokens are a natural fit for what you're doing. Do you think that's going to be the same for for most of the multiplayer games out there in the future?
1: I mean, I, I do think so. I understand the pushback, which is I I think if I had to like describe the emotional pushback, it's like I go to games to escape. I go to games to have joy and and, and kind of pleasure and fun. And now I go to games and I'm greeted with finance. (laughs) I'm greeted with like having to think about finance, having to think about speculation, having to think about prices going up, having to to choose, like having to constantly make trade-offs and choices around like, Do I want this asset? Do I want that asset? Like it's kind of this like intense commercialization of something that people find to be very entertaining. Um, I I don't know what the right analogy would be for movies, but movies somehow managed to inject this. um, I would probably also be frustrated. Like, yeah, there's a way for me to make money off watching a movie, but like, that's not why I'm here. I'm here to get be entertained for two hours and like turn my brain off. And I think that there's, I think that the, that, like, if I had to kind of articulate maybe where the pushback comes from, I think a lot of that is, a, a lot of it is that, like, stop injecting this, like, financialization, this real life kind of financialization into games. Um, that being said, uh, I think there will always be games that are just, like, for the fun and the beauty of it, um, and kind of like the joy of it. But I think for multiplayer gaming in general, Multiplayer gaming is extremely oriented around status. Like they are status games. Um, The end game is almost always a status game in multiplayer gaming. Even if it's skill-based, even if it's like about being the best, it's like, why do you want to be the best? Often it's about status. And so I think in that world where status really matters, I think virtual goods and NFTs are always... Kind of going to be present. They're going to be a reflection of status, whether you win this NFT because you're like really, really good at the game or because you spent a lot of money or because you talked to the right people or you met the right people or whatever you've been playing for three years. I think those will always be important. They'll always have value. And then I think if you can financialize those things um, using this kind of composable money um, kind of metaphor, uh, permissionless composable money thing, then um, they will be financialized because they have value because they represent something. They represent status in in the world, so yeah. I mean, I, I I think I think it's going to be very very big for kind of almost any kind of or at least most kind of multiplayer gaming that has any kind of status games associated with it. Um, but I also like I I you know I get I get the pushback. It's like sometimes you just want this like beautiful thing that is not adulterated by the the financialization and speculative fervor of uh, of goods, I don't know, of, of, of scarce goods, scarce assets.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I get that as well. Um, you know, having to think, you know, what's the best ROI that I can get yeah. for this. Um, and you know, having me make, having to make these calculations, I guess they're like they're fun sometimes or in certain environments, but not when you're, you know, playing in, 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 in like, like a simulation yeah, exactly. game or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, um, it looks like time flies when I'm, I'm talking to you. Every time um, I do, so um, let's let's you know round this up, Anton. I want to thank you a lot for for being here for sharing your story uh, about Bucket World, Skyrise, etc. Um, it was great.
1: Yeah, thanks, um, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about. It.
0: Is there, by the way, is there anything our listeners can do for you?
1: Yeah. So, uh, well, one, we're recruiting. Um, I know a lot of folks in. I guess in this bear market and recession or, or freezing recruiting and all that kind of stuff, we've been growing really quickly. Um, we need more people to help us <laughs> achieve our vision. Um, and so, uh, we have a lot of roles open on pocketworlds.com. Um, you can see what's available there. Um, so that part's really, uh, important. And then the second piece is as we build out the high rise world model, if anyone's interested in building out a high rise, um, we will help you. Uh, like I said, we have token incentives. We have all that kind of stuff. So, um, we'd like you to come in and, and, and really build a, a social platform or, you know, a social community, uh, on the high rise world platform. So, um, hit me up if you're interested in doing
0: that. Fantastic. And where can people find you?
1: Uh, they can find me on, uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm Anton Burr and T O N B E R. Um, pocketworlds.com linkedin um, linkedin so, what's oh, that? yeah exactly uh, you can find me on high rise my username is the jakeness um, I actually made it because I was thinking of my friend Jake when I was like testing and then I just ended up sticking with this username and now everybody oh, knows um, me as the jakeness <laughs>
0: some some of these gamer tags man Mine is the same. Like, I took it as a, as a part from someone else's gamer tag, and now 20 years later, I still run around with, uh, with yeah, exactly. no fours of mine. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, um, this was fantastic. Anton, thanks for joining. Listener, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed, uh, feel free to let us know. If you want to join the conversation, we have a Discord where we talk about fantastic companies like Pocket Worlds and others. Um, and yeah, um, we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers.